Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and this is Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. He's with me, as always, to discuss whatever we're discussing on current day. This is true. But I did, but you didn't give me any new titles today, so yeah, that's true. You have to work on that. I woke up too early for thinking about new titles and things like that. I understand. So you were too busy. You were too busy watching the Grammys to think of titles for me. Was the Grammys on? Exactly. Did but anybody yeah. get slapped? No, no, no. They did not. Well, darn it. <laughs> I know. I wouldn't have e- never even known the Oscars were on if uh, Will Smith hadn't slapped Chris Rock. Yes, I understand. So. Anyways, enough with that garbage. We don't care about that. Correct. <laughs> so today we have a special guest with us. Uh, Brad Peppo is with us. Uh, we're going to discuss confessional church planting. Uh, so Brad's here to discuss that with us. So Brad, I sent you questions and asked the first one is, who are you? But <laughs> I've been told that everybody in my... Montgomery County knows who you are, so it might be more appropriate for Matthew and I to introduce ourselves than than for you. I, I somebody actually told me it was a requirement when you move into Montgomery County to meet Brad Peppo. That's that's very funny. Yeah, so I've lived here all my life and um, gone to a number of different schools, number of different churches, um, and so when you do that long enough, you tend to know more people. Right. It's all connected, especially <laughs> the church world, small world. Yes. Especially the Reformed Church world, an even smaller world. Yes, that's true. So, who are you then? So, um, (laughs) I guess I can start with my most recent title. So, I am um, what we call a regional home missionary, and um, that's in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And I'm the regional home missionary for um, the essentially the Miami Valley area. So, from, say, Indian Lake down to Cincinnati, and then from the Indiana border, maybe over just a little past Springfield, as the RHM. Uh, my responsibility is to see to the increase and growth of Reformed and Presbyterian churches in that, in that territory. So some church planting, um, some interaction with other churches, um, that sort of thing. All right. How long have you, I mean, I know that title may be new, but how long have you been involved in planting yeah, that's, that's a good Reformed and Presbyterian churches? Actually, the, the title was just placed, I mean, very, very little has changed in what I've been doing. Uh, most of what's changed is just the, the way I'm supported. Right. <laughs> so it's uh, actually, I was ordained back in 2013, and that was for the express purpose of church planting. And that's what I've been doing since then. So it's been a, about, about nine years that I've been doing that. Doing it in a couple of different capacities. The first time we did it, um, I was the what we call the organizing pastor. So I was the guy that got started and stayed all the way through up to the point where it became a particular church. A couple other works we've done, my involvement has been more on the front end, getting the group together and then calling in another organizing pastor to take my place, and then sort of assisting those churches through that that development. So You you might explain a little bit what a particular church is, what the difference is, because we're Baptists. So So when we say um, becoming a particular church, we essentially mean becoming an independent, separate congregation. Um, independent still in the Presbyterian sense, right. so still connected. But um, while you're a mission work, you're usually under the oversight of the elders of one particular church 
or in some cases, sort of an ad hoc session from different churches in the presbytery. Um, you're not, you don't have your own local oversight while you're a mission work. So right. when we come a particular church, it means you have your own elders um, and um, you know, your own pastor usually also. Okay. You've been involved in church planning for 13 years, you nine, said? Nine years, since 2013. Nine years. Yeah. Okay. It was yeah. 2013, nine years. Right, okay. Right, right. So how, how did you end up in church planning? When I was in uh, undergrad, I went to – actually, I went to a number of uh, undergrad schools, graduated from Cedarville. Um, had an interest in the ministry even back then. Uh, my wife and I were married when I was 19 and uh, some maturity that we needed to develop and <laughs> some life experience. So decided not to go into a ministry right away. So I was a school teacher for a while. I was attorney for a while. And um, every so often we'd kind of, you know, take stock and say, okay, where are we? Where are things? Uh, how have we matured? I also, I had even then uh, more of an interest in sort of outreach outward focused ministry interaction with unbelievers interaction with people from outside the tradition I, I didn't really have a whole lot of interest in pastoral ministry as it's kind of typically thought about you know one one church staying there for 20 years even though I think that's extremely valuable work right um, I my attention deficit was just not fitting with that kind of thing. <laughs> so pe- people have asked you know what what does it take to make a good church planner and I say uh, ADD and recklessness that's pretty much it. <laughs> So the the path got started when we had a group um, at our Vandalia church. Um, by the way, up until f- this coming Friday, Covenant in Vandalia is my supporting church. Our third church plant is becoming a particular church Friday. My call is shifting to them. So while we were at Covenant, this is back in 2011, 2012, we had a group of families from Springfield that uh, was making the drive, six or seven families actually. And they were interested in having... Um, an Orthodox Presbyterian church in Springfield. So that's specifically why I was approached by our elders asking me if I would be interested in going to seminary and helping that project get started. So we started that, and I think there was still a slight bit of ambiguity in my mind as to whether I wanted to just settle down with one church. But as as time went on, it was clear to me that this is what I wanted to do on an ongoing basis. So we call, started calling me a serial church planter. It has certain <laughs> connotations, but it's all right. <laughs> So you've been involved. I know you started at Covenant in Vandalia, right? Yep. That that's right like the, the mother church, right? That's right. And all the way up till that's one of the things that changed is all the way up till um, this past January. That was my primary supporting body. So they were the ones um, financially supporting me. And then um, as I was organizing pastor of, of works, support came in from our presbytery and from our denomination. And then January, what happened was they essentially permanently put me on shared support between a local church and our presbytery and our denomination okay. to continue doing church planting in the area. It's similar things to what Southern Baptists How do. The we just works and all yeah, that, we yeah. just call it different things yeah. and yeah. there's no authority in those. But anyway, we won't get involved in <laughs> church politics. <laughs> you started at Vandalia, went to Springfield. That what's the name of that church again? Living Water. Living Water. Living Water is the, is the church plant in Springfield. And we started off, we did um, a year of a Bible study, starting with the core group of families that we already had at our church. They started inviting people. We studied sort of the Reformed distinctives at that study for about a year. And the second year, we began meeting for worship. And we, we would do that in the evening. And what that would allow is people from the, from the mother church were able to participate both in you know uh, worship at the, at the home church and then come and help support us. So... You know, you'd come and there'd be a larger group than, than was just represented by the families there. So that was really helpful. And then um, once we had that group built up to a sufficient size, I think it was pretty much right on the money of, of the third year, we shifted to morning worship. We did that for 
t- through the end of uh, May, May 2017 is when that church became particular. I stepped back, and um, the new pastor, Daniel Dolis, stepped in there. Okay. Where'd you go to after that? So after that, I started, we were targeting sort of west of town, west uh, Montgomery County. Uh, we were looking at West Alexandria and New Lebanon. And uh, the difference with that project was where Springfield, we had a, a ready-made core group of people already in place on the ground. It was a little bit different out west in that um, it began more with a choice of the spot on the map. It said, what, what can we do here? And then the approach from there was to, to see who was in the area. Some of our families from uh, Vandalia were out west. Um, some of the families from Redeemer and Beaver Creek were coming from out west. So we saw where we had kind of a geographic uh, concentration pulled those folks together, asked if they were interested in forming a core group, and they did that. So while we were working on that, um, I got a call from a group of 10 families uh, from a PCA background who were down in Wilmington, and they expressed an interest in becoming a church plant in the OPC. So those two projects were going on simultaneously. So I was at, um, down in Wilmington doing their preaching and their pastoral oversight on Sunday mornings, and then um, we were meeting for evenings um, and on the western on the western plant. Now, what happened was it began with my taking my son down downtown for classes at Sinclair and witnessing sort of the transformation that was happening in the downtown area. All of the all the rehabilitation, all the renovation, all of the new businesses, all of the new residents that were that were coming in, and just thinking, wow, you know, somewhere down the line, I think downtown um, should be a target. And we need to get out in front of this. OPC hardly ever gets out in front of anything. <laughs> We're a lot more reactive. But um, that idea uh, kept sort of festering um, and um, afflicting my ADD. And um, <laughs> I ended up approaching our West Side group and said, what would you guys think about becoming a core group for a downtown plan? And uh, four out of the five families were, um, were excited about doing that. And so that served as the, as the core for, I guess it's been three years now, what, after we moved downtown. And uh, since then, we've had a lot more families join. We have our own building now as of August. So that work's been really exciting and it's in downtown Dayton. Light of the Nations, Light right? of the Nations. Is awesome name. Yeah. And Wilmington is an, uh, early, an easy one to remember. It's Wilmington Reformed Church. So yeah. fairly basic. Yeah. Now, Wilmington just became a particular church, Wilmington right? just particularized last Friday. Okay. Yeah, Friday before last, I should say. And is Light of the Nations a particular church now? It will particularize this coming Friday. Okay. Yeah. so you're- This is a big couple weeks for me. <laughs> I guess so. Very exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting. Now, you're a Presbyterian, we're Baptists. We're, That's what I've heard. <laughs> the reason we're interested in this is because we're particular Baptists. We're, we hold to the London Confession. Our whole church doesn't, although our elders would all love the London Confession. I, I subscribe to it, and I think Matthew's almost there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working on him. (laughs) So we love confessional. We're confessional Baptists. That's that's what I like to call myself because Presbyterians get mad at me if I call myself Reformed. (laughs) Some of them Baptists do too. But so I call myself a confessional Baptist because I hold to a historic Baptist confession. And you guys subscribe to the Westminster, correct? Which is. You know, our Baptist forefathers just copied off you. So, <laughs> a couple alterations. <laughs> yeah, we we altered a few things, but so that's why we're we're excited about what you're doing. We love confessional reformed theology, so we love to see the growth of confessionally reformed churches. Yeah, amen. even if you baptize babies, <laughs> we're 
we still love to see that. So that that's why that's why we want to talk to you because that's the point of commonality. Yes, yes. I mean, there's lots of other church doing lots of good things, mm-hmm. but uh, we feel a special bond to uh, Presbyterians because of the confessional mm-hmm. background and likewise, likewise. And uh, there's a lot of agreement. Sometimes I agree with you more than my Baptist brothers, so <laughs> <laughs> that can put us in a bind. So that leads to uh, the next question. We're talking about planning confessional churches. So mm-hmm. what is confessional besides, obviously, the Westminster London Baptist Confession? What does it mean for a church to be confessional, you think? Right. Now, here you're in danger of getting a sermon from me, but... <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Uh, thinking through this, and I really actually helped. I found your your question really helpful and kind of clarifying um, some of my own thinking. Where I would begin in talking about what it means to be a confessional church um, is in Ephesians four, beginning with uh, the reality of the church's one faith. Um, Paul says there, "There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope that belongs to your call." And then here, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you have that that theological foundation, that theological truth. That is, all of the church really. There is only one faith. There might be various expressions of it. It might be articulated in a different way, um, but there is only one faith. And then, out of that declarative, out of that that truth, that theological foundation, we see um, an encouragement in Scripture to to behave as if that were true. So you have generally the apostles encouraging um, the saints at First Peter, uh, have unity of mind, um, Philippians. Um, Paul says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. How? He says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. And then one more along those lines, uh, Romans 15, Paul says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in addition then to the theological foundation that's there, the truth that there is only one faith, there's that encouragement of the saints in many places in Scripture. Hey, um, agree on these things. Come to, come to a common understanding of these things. Uh, pursue pursue like-mindedness on on issues of, of faith and doctrine. Um, the the next point I would I would go to from there is it seems as though um, in Scripture that one faith um, would be articulated in in sort of a formula from time to time. I mean the most probably well known one of these would be all the way back to the the Pentateuch where you have the Shema, you know, the mm-hmm. Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. Um, Interestingly, in um, in Deuteronomy, there's another passage where um, there's a there's a whole a whole set confession that the Israelites were supposed to make as they were giving particular offerings um, that basically rehearsed the redemptive history of how God had brought them to this place. Um, then you see in the in the New Testament as well, you see things like in um, in in the pastoral epistles where Paul is talking about the the pattern of teaching that he received, that he handed on to Timothy, that he wanted Timothy to hand on. And then other, every once in a while you get um, kind of a hint of the structure of this. Like, for example, 1 Timothy 3.16, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then you've got these points that sound something like our <coughs> apostles or Nicene Creed. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. 
So it seems as though, scripturally speaking, you don't just merely have this theological foundation. Yeah, there's one faith. You don't just merely have this encouragement. Hey, try to agree on this. But you have indications that they were formulating this into a, a set of words that they were agreeing on together as a, as a tool right. for, for sort of pursuing this unity with one another. The, the last passage, and this I saved this one for last, but this is really, I think, where the, the kind of the core of my thinking comes through on this issue. And uh, if you'll forgive a little, little longer reading, four verses. Ephesians 4 again. So, you know, concluding kind of practically and fleshing out what he begins with in that chapter with respect to there being one faith, he says, And he, meaning Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And here's the key. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then just one tag idea there, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So Paul seems to to envision um, not only this idea of confessionalism, but even to put forward sort of this historical timeline and progression that he expects to happen. I think oftentimes we think of the church, oh, the early church, they had everything worked out. And right. we, just, we just kind of walked away, you know, we, we lost that. But Paul in this passage is saying, no, the church is an infant. <laughs> um, the apostles are all here on the ground teaching, and the church is still in its infancy. And he's envisioning right. this process, and not only just envisioning, but encouraging it. You guys need to be working out the details of this faith, and more and more as you as you go on. So I think that's the theological impetus behind what it means to be a confessional church. So we would say, uh, first of all, a confessional church would be one where... As a congregation, that church um, adopts some representation, some formula. Uh, this is what we believe to be the sort of the essence and the basics of the, of the Christian faith. I think you would agree with the next point I'm going to make, too, <laughs> to some degree. Also, we, we think that there's a connectional aspect to confessionalism, too. I know you would agree with this. That it's not merely like one church, one congregation having the same faith articulated in the same way. But what's painted as an ideal in Scripture is church is being connected in an agreement on that. And the third thing I know you would agree with is it's not merely an idea of one congregation having the same faith or a group of congregations at any given time having the same faith, but especially based on Ephesians 4, there's this idea of um, our confessions of faith being connected also with the saints that have gone before as well. Right. There's a historic rootedness to it. There's a, there's, there's a progression. I mean, Paul points out, like, you're supposed to be growing. This will be changing. But there's also there's also a continuity. It's you know as a as an infant matures into an adult, you don't have you know you know five thousand different people along the way. You right. have one person that's going through these changes and maturing. So, long answer to your short question, I say what it means to be confessional is to have to uh, be a church that's striving toward agreeing as a congregation and in connection and with history, and formulating that agreement on what the faith is in in some sort of written written formula. Sounds like one of the things you're saying is that conf- the point, one of the points of confessions is to encourage unity. Right. Yet we hear the opposite today that confessions and creeds are divisive. And- we hear that, and I think even um, I know that there are some church planting traditions where one of the first things that a new church does when it gets planted is craft its own statement of faith, which to me seems to be moving in the opposite direction right. of what the apostles are calling to. It's not, okay, now that you're a new church, let's come up with your own kind of variation of what the faith is. Right. Um, I, th- I think that's, that's counter-apostolic. 
engaged a little bit, just a really tiny bit because I don't have time on Facebook with a friend who is part of a group that doesn't is anti-denominational, right? And it seems to me like he's arguing that as long as you're part of the same organization, then it doesn't really matter what you believe. It's a they believe that when you're saved, you're automatically they don't have membership, they don't have anything like that. You're automatically part of the church and you can just come as you are no matter what you believe. Now I know on the surface they they say that, but there's there's going to be beliefs that they're going no 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 no. That's too far. That's too far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now now they say that. I get that. I get a lot of pushback about cuz people will ask me if I'm talking to sharing the gospel with someone or just talking about Christian things. They'll talk, ask me what denomination I am. Mm-hmm. And I tell them I'm Southern Baptist and there's all there seems to be always pushback against it, like mm-hmm. denominations are evil. Yeah. Um and you know you know as well as I do that in our age um it's anti doctrinal. That's right. The Non-denominational churches are usually the churches that are flourishing for some reason. I don't mm-hmm. <laughs> comprehend why. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's motivating all of this kind of thing. But you're trying to plant a confessional church <laughs> that says we hold all these things, and yeah. you hold each other accountable right. for not if you drift from those things. How in, how in the world, in a day and age like today, could you even dream of planning confessional churches. <laughs> yeah. One of the one of the things we say um from time to time in our home missions discussions is uh we're selling what ain't nobody buying. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's true. I think um it is a bit countercultural. It is evidently not the most popular thing. It's not the easiest way to get folks in. But here's here's kind of my my thought on that. So first of all, I think I think Scripture sets... Actually, let me go back to the very beginning of what you said. I think there's a sense in which I agree that denominations are not a good thing. Um, I think they're a necessary thing now. I think they're um, an an unfortunate result of the fragmentation of the church. I think they're useful, and and we need them now. But I think, again, I'm I'm an Ephesians 4 post-millennial church planning guy who (laughs) thinks what we're headed toward is more and more and more unity. And the denominations, I think, are useful in that they're, they're basically placeholders for like, okay, here's where we're at now, and here's the differences we have. And I think it helps facilitate that discussion on, okay, what, what is it that we would actually need to come to a common understanding on in order to be in greater unity with one another? Right. So uh, overall, I, I don't think that it's a, this is a, a nice resting spot for the church. Oh, yeah, you know, we've got all these denominations, and that's fine. But I, I think they are, they are useful. But then to the second part of what you said, you know, you know, fighting, you know, swimming up upstream against a strong current of of folks who are more and more wanting to just, you know, let all um, all distinctions sort of disappear. I think, given the the biblical warrant for our articulating our faith, and I think also as a result of it being an actually intrinsically inherently good, helpful, healthy thing that um, sometimes w- what it seems like hap- happens to us is you've got people who don't know they're hungry until they smell something cooking you know and when they see when they see what you're doing it's like well this is this is weird like why would you do this but if you can get people 
to, to actually sort of take their time to observe what's happening or what's there in a confession of faith and what a confession of faith will do for a church and for a fellowship of churches. I think people recognize, well, there's actually something really, really good there. And you're not going to catch everyone's attention like right off the bat with that sort of thing. But I mean, more and more, this, this is some, I would make the analogy to, for lack of a better term, what I would call our traditional worship um, in our Reformed and Presbyterian tradition. One thing that we hear a lot is, well, how will you get young people ever to come to a church that's, that's doing that? And what we find is more and more we're encountering young people who that's actually what it is they're looking for. They're looking, they're looking for something that is a little more rooted in history. They're looking for something that is a little more serious. And they're, they're kind of fed up by how they've had things pitched to them as young people. Well, you're a young person. You must want rock music and you must want this. <laughs> and that's actually just not the case. I, it, um, little side story, sorry. But I, I remember at uh, one of our church plants, we had the, the high school age kids of one family who were just totally sold on what we were doing. They were very excited, but they couldn't get their parents to come <laughs> because <laughs> for the parents, it was too traditional. So That's funny. Yeah, yeah. So I think the same kind of thing can be true of confessional, sort of careful, doctrinal approach to the faith and to Christianity is that when people see it, they say, no, there's something, there's something actually that's good there that they, that they want to be a part of. And I think, you know, the, the, the question and the way you phrased it, I, I thought this is probably what you're after. Like, how can this, how can, why would you even try this? Um, and given the climate. And I would say, uh, honestly, again, I don't expect us all of a sudden in the next 20 years to sort of like sweep the nation and right. everyone will be confessional. But I do think, again, as a post-millennialist looking at Ephesians 4, that this is where things are going. And I think that even our small, little, apparently presently insignificant and maybe even apparently unfruitful labors are, are part of what God will be using as he moves the church toward more and more maturity. So I think I think this, even if it's not taking off in some grand way, I think this is one of the ways that we bless the church as, as a whole moving forward. I really think that having confessions actually helps unity. And pretending that you're unified because you don't talk about those right. things right. is is a whole is is a big problem. You're just denying that there's division. Yeah, you'll find it, but you'll just find it when a particular issue comes up that you haven't anticipated Correct. because Correct. you haven't worked it out in advance. Well, and yeah. I don't know how familiar you are with the background of the London Confession, but the reason they copied the Westminster was to show that they were in continuity with the the Reformed. Right, right, yep. So that, not, stri- not striking out on their own. Or right, they didn't want to create new words and yep, yep. new things. They they just they wanted to follow in the tradition. Mm-hmm. So I know there's a lot that you do to plan a church, but practically what kind of things you, are you doing uh, to plant, the tr- plant churches, evangelize, however mm-hmm. you want to mm-hmm. look at that? Yeah. Unfortunately, this might be the the least interesting part of the <laughs> answers. The uh, the reason I say that is because um, so much of what has happened um, in the past nine years has been reactive. <laughs> it's been hey, we have a group that wants to do this. Well, well okay. Um, or we have you know another group that calls and says we're ready to try this. Um, you know, the downtown one was a little bit different in that it, there was some active like okay, this is where we want to be. Here's how we create people together. I, but I can say, I mean, here's generally what the process looks like. Um, once you have some core group um, about around which to sort of build, um, and you start you start helping them fellowship more with one another, 
um, gain unity of purpose with one another, strengthen the relationship with one another. And then you use sort of that core group as a way of attracting people from the community. And generally, I mean, we've tried all, all kinds of things, you know, passing out the flyers. And um, I did, a, you know, spent a lot of time in coffee shops. And, and we had some uh, fruitful interactions as a result of those sorts of things. But if I could quantify it, I would say 90% of the people we get that come from the outside, believers and unbelievers, that come in from the outside, see what we're doing and stay, 90% of the time, it's because they had some relationship with some person in that group already. So one of the things that we try to do is, you know, leverage the relationships that those people have. So try to pr- pr- provide all kinds of events and discussions and things like that that those people feel comfortable inviting their relatives and their friends and their coworkers to in the area. Um, you know, and I, I, whenever I'm in an area, I also, you know, use, use Facebook and Facebook advertising and, and have kind of more public discussions of certain things. I've had right. um, some interaction with a number of atheist groups in the past nine years, um, which ag- again, they're fruitful in and of themselves. They're, you know, they're, they're interesting. They're fun. And I think it's good um, for Christians to come to those and interact with, with those people and, and see how, you know, how they're going about arguing. And, um, but as far as the strategy for church growth, that just hasn't, that hasn't, been, <laughs> that hasn't been one at all. Um, so the, the interesting thing now is, with these two works wrapping up, um, one last week and, and another one at the end of this week, and sort of thinking through what, the, what as doing some self reflection, um, not just on our our ministry, but um, just in the OPC in general. I, I've told people, I said, I, I do feel like we do a pretty good job of of reactive church planting. When we when we know that there's interest that's popped up somewhere, we're very good at sending in the man, sending in the money, sending in the resources. But um, on the more sort of proactive, and I have to remember how to pronounce this, um, not offensive, but offensive, <laughs> mm-hmm. whereas we're saying, no, we're, we're not waiting for interest to pop up, but we want, we want there to be, you know, we want to have saints in this area that we have this relationship with, we have this connection with, we have, you know, this confessional sort of relational with. Um, that's something that we're, we're right now trying to figure out how to do. Now, we've, we've actually chosen a spot for that. I've, I've begun... Um, sort of my initial foray into the Sydney area. And um, the, <laughs> the front end of that has been, again, recognizing the, the true ecumenicity of the church, starting with the churches and going to them and saying, look, I'm not here to you know, take your people away. I'm not here to you know, move in on your territory. But I am here because I think that what we're doing is, is something that's valuable, something that's helpful, that would even be helpful to, to your church to have you know, something like this in the neighborhood. And um, right, right off the bat, God has been very gracious in the people that I've met there already and the relationships that, um, that are being formed. But my, my vision for, um, I, I should say my plan that I knew, you know, like Mike Tyson said, you know, everyone has a plan to get punched in the jaw. But my <laughs> original plan going in without knowing anything about Sydney was looking for an opportunity um, for direct evangelism to unbelievers as the, as the initial stage of the church planting rather than going and finding all the Christians to pull together. Right. Um, and it's with that end in mind that I've been talking to the pastors there and saying, this is what I have in mind. This is what I would like to do. Getting their advice. Where are places where this would work? Where, where are your unbelievers hiding? What are they like? <laughs> what sort of things do you think they would be interested in coming to? We're sort of in the discovery phase as to the, what this you know, more self-initiated church planting looks like. But that's what we're trying to do. So, 
one thing that I've seen you posting on Facebook that I'm interested in is I saw that you were doing ESL. Yeah. And then um, you also mentioned a discussion that you and a group of guys were having with a group of Muslims about yes, the Bible yes. and the Quran. Right. So uh, this is this is the other facet of, of what I do as the regional home missionary. Um, and uh, I, I think to help understand it would be um, half of my support comes from the individual local church and half comes from the Presbyterian denomination. So what we've decided to focus on as far as half of my responsibilities is still outreach, still home mission stuff, but less specifically directed toward church planting and more on um, sort of maximizing the outreach of, of the particular church where I'm at. So um, long story, but kind of a feedback <clears throat> loop between what we were interested in and what was available ended up with us being over on, um, on East 3rd Street, which is uh, the city of Dayton's specifically designated immigrant-owned business quarter. And where the population is about 30% Hispanic. And so as we started looking at ESL as one way, and again, this is going back to the idea of the the majority of people you have come and stay are people that you have relationships with. So if you're in a community where you have no relationships with everyone, you could either say, well, no one will come, or <laughs> you can find a way to start establishing those relationships with those people mm-hmm. who are there. And that's essentially what the ESL has been. Um, we've had... 40 different students come in the in the time that we've done it since September. And it was actually as we were doing our um, sort of research and looking at what ESL would look like that we came in contact with um, a, a smaller Muslim community, a um, smaller group of, of Turkish folks. And uh, that's been for a while. It was every three weeks. Now we're down to um, once a month uh, meeting together. And again, no holds barred. This is why we think Christianity is true, Islam is false, and vice versa. And um, it's been just really, really warm friendship that we've had with them. But, you know, again, now we have another community that we have relationships with. We've had we've had at least one of those fellows who has come to worship, you know, just more as a sort of an observer. observer yes. And and again, the ESL, just in the last couple of weeks, we've had we've started to have students come to worship for that as well. So those are those are a little bit less in the category of sort of church planting and more on church church building. Once you've got your church plant there, how do you encourage the church plant to do the work that a church is supposed to be doing where it's at and reaching out, you know, locally on the kind of a micro level? So that's what those two things have been about. All right. That's awesome. You have anything that you want to ask? I left you out the whole time. <laughs> yeah, you know. You I should think I left him out the whole thrown time. thrown your water bottle at me or something. <laughs> it's okay. What have been any unexpected challenges you face as you planted the churches? Yeah. I'd say, uh, and I think I can um, avoid using names to protect the innocent or guilty. (laughs) (laughs) One of the interesting things is how different the dynamic of any particular group can be. A core group Mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. And, and specifically in the, in the area of you get some groups that are just like chomping at the bet to do everything that's possible. And you actually have to like slow them down. You're like, no, we're Presbyterians. We, you know, let's just slow down. And then other groups where it's like other people that are a lot happier just to have, you know, you kind of taking, you know, taking the yoke and they, they'll follow you, but they're just, you know, not, type A and type B might be right. the, the best ways to do it. So that's, that's been a very interesting phenomenon we've encountered is like, okay, figuring out which group we have when we're dealing with, you know, a particular project. Gosh, other big, other big uh, surprises. One of the things that we've learned, and we were warned about this in advance, or encouraged about this in advance, I should say, and that is 
how little of the growth that you experience as a church plant is ever directly related to anything you've ever done. <laughs> and we had, there was a, a fellow who was, um, oh gosh, decades, a church planter up um, more in the Midwest. And he said that, he said, you know, we'd go out, we would, you know, pass out the flyers. And we had this at, at, at Springfield, pass out 600 flyers and not have anybody show up as a result. And then for some, from some completely unforeseen means, someone is connected, they're brought in. And this, this, this older saint's explanation for that was, you know, God wants us to see that our, our, our labor is productive, and he also wants us to see that it has nothing to do with <laughs> <laughs> So that's been, that's been an interesting phenomenon. Work hard, but expect that the, the increase is going to come from some other way that makes it clear that you didn't really have much to do with it. Well, one, one last thing. How can our listeners pray for you? It seems like the the uh, the biggest thing on my heart and mind with with each of these plants along the way, and even after they're established, you know, we have in Corinthians the the whole idea of the members and the body, and there's a really encouraging, almost kind of throwaway thing that um, Paul says in there, each placed in the body by God Himself, and you know, you look at a particular group and you say, man, this group really needs someone with this characteristics or someone with this skill set, and they don't have them now. So just just praying that that each church would um, that that God would in in His good time and of course when we pray for it we want it to be sooner rather than later <laughs> um, would would place just the right members that that are needed for the full functioning and health of the of the whole body uh, that would be my prayer request I appreciate you asking. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you didn't get to say that you you'd like to say now? I think I exhausted my notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matthew, I think we're finished for today. Brad, thanks a lot for joining us. I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of you guys having me. It was good, a good exercise for me to have to think through some of these things. And we, are, we, we truly are excited about what you're doing. I have Thank a you. Presbyterian friend in Michigan that I brag about what's going on down here in Ohio, <laughs> and he's probably envious as well So, because <laughs> there's not much reformed work going on in that area of Michigan. Uh, interesting. So. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you both. So we want to thank Brad for joining us again today, and we leave you with an encouragement to find ways you can encourage the kingdom of God to advance, whether that is through your local church, whether that's through seeking to help new new confessional churches be planted, but ultimately be about the work of the kingdom. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded or hopeful hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.